it's nice to see all of you here this morning. My name is Ben Lofton, and I have the privilege of serving as one of the pastors on staff here on our Gilmer campus, and I am so excited that you are here today. Uh, as Pastor George said, if you're a first-time guest with us, I want to extend a, a special welcome to you. I would also say if you didn't stop by one of our welcome tents, make sure you do. We have got a gift for you. It's really cool, and we also would love to have a record of your visit, so make sure you swing by there. I want to talk about one thing real quick before we jump into the sermon today, and that is next Sunday. Next Sunday, we are going to have a big baptism service, okay? So here's what that means. We had a lot of people that surrendered their life to Jesus uh, over Easter, and we've got some other people that are ready to follow in believers' baptism. So we're going to have a service next Sunday. So if you're in the room today, and let's just say that maybe you've made a decision for Christ, and you haven't been scheduled for baptism yet, and you would like to do that, let us know today so that we can get you signed up and get that, that process going. If you are just someone who has been a believer for a long time, and for whatever reason, you never followed in obedience uh, to Christ to be baptized, we would love for you to do that with us. So make sure you let us know today so that we can get you signed up for the big baptism service, okay? All right, well, we are in a new sermon series called To Live as Christ. This is the second sermon in a series of sermons in the book of Philippians. So we are gonna be continuing in the book of Philippians chapter one. Uh, today, I'm gonna recap a little bit about our first sermon series. The first one we had in this is called, was called Healthy Church. And we discovered the things that mark a healthy church. A healthy church is marked by saints, deacons, and elders uh, functioning in their biblical bounds. It's uh, marked by a shared gospel mission, and it's marked by spiritual maturity. It's also marked by an abounding love that's growing in discernment and wisdom and glorifies God. Okay, so that's kind of the first 11, a very brief recap of the first 11 verses in chapter 1 of Philippians. We're going to start in chapter, in, in chapter 1, verse 12 today in the series called, as I said before, To Live is Christ. And as I was studying for this sermon today, I recognized that there are several uh, themes that pop out in the book of Philippians. And one of the themes that pops out specifically permeates the verses that we're going to look at today, and that is the idea of a passion or gospel passion. And as I was studying the idea of gospel passion, it made, not, it was made sense for me to start thinking about what does it mean to be passionate about anything, right? To have a passion uh, for something. And good for us, I, uh, we live here in Gilmer, Texas, and there's no shortage of things that people that are from here are passionate about Gilmer, okay? But I'm going to give you a quick definition that I looked up for passion. Passion is defined as a strong and barely controllable emotion or an intense desire or enthusiasm for something. So if we're in Gilmer and I said we are passionate about Buckeye football, everybody's from Gilmer would go, yep, yep, yeah, uh, that's right. And I, I could give you a laundry list of things, but really, people from Gilmer are just passionate about being from Gilmer. It's just, they think this is the greatest place on earth. But as I thought more and more about it, and I was really thinking about that definition of strong and barely controllable emotion, there was one thing that really rose to the top. It's Yamboree. Okay, so I want everybody in the room to notice the different reactions to what happened in the room. Some people that are from here got really excited, like, what? Did he say Yambri? Laughed and had a good time. Other people that are not from here kind of went, ugh. Even some people that have been here a long time are like, oh, my goodness, Yambri. But it is a thing in Gilmer, Texas, and people in Gilmer are passionate about the Yambri. But I will tell you that people that are not from Gilmer, not so passionate. 
They see it differently, right? We have a deep emotional connection to the idea of yamboree, of parades, of queen's balls, of all these things. There are moms and daughters that have all been yam queens. Man, we are passionate about that thing. If you can't connect to that, then maybe you can connect to the idea of a passion of a hobby or a sports team, right? We get passionate about all kinds of things. When you think about a sports team that's passionate, you think about the guy you see on TV at Lambeau Field, and it's negative 15 degrees, snowing, and this guy's got his shirt off, and his face is painted, his chest is painted, and he's cheering like crazy. You think, man, that guy, that's passion, right? That's passion. We think that the loudest and most emotionally over-the-top actions are what make people passionate. I'm here today to tell you that that's not always true. And we're going to talk about a type of passion today that is not rooted in emotion, but it's rooted in God's Word. And it's rooted in a passion that should belong to all believers. So I would tell you this, if you want to know really what you're passionate about, look at where you spend your time. Look at where you spend your money. Look at what has your affections. I would tell you that the things that you're passionate about truly passionate about are the things that you're willing to sacrifice for. Those are what we're passionate about. And today, we're going to talk about what God's Word says about being passionate. So if you haven't already, go ahead and grab your Bible and turn with me to Philippians 1. We're going to start in verse 12 and go through verse 18. And when you are all there, I want you to say this for me. The Bible is true. All right. Yes, it is. And Philippians 1, 12 through 18 says this. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. And the former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed. And in that, I rejoice. Now, I'm going to separate these verses into really two sections of Scripture. And I believe in these two sections of Scripture, we're going to be, we're going to be able to draw out two truths that we're going to root ourselves in today when we talk about passion. And the first section we're going to start with is section of verses 12 through 14. And I believe in 12 through 14, we get a pretty clear picture of Paul's gospel passion about the things that Paul is passionate about. And from the very beginning of verse 12, you see what I think is a, it's kind of an unexpected perspective that Paul has on the circumstances that he's in. He says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. Now, let's recap Paul's circumstances when he's writing this letter to the Philippians, okay? He is in jail. He is in prison on his way to a trial that will end in his death, and he's been in prison for two years, and yet the message that he is writing to the Philippian church is, what's happened to me is really a good thing because it served to advance the gospel, I mean, talk about your glass half full kind of guy, right? In prison, two years, this is a good thing. 
This is where we see Paul's passion for the gospel. And I don't know about you, but if I'm in jail for two years, chained, my reaction is not going to normally be, this is going really, really well. <laughs> Everything that's happening is just awesome. This is great. You see, Paul's passion for the gospel had reshaped his perspective on life. Everything that had happened to Paul in his life. Now, let's think about this, everything. He's in prison now, but let's just reminisce for a moment about the life of Paul. You know, I've heard it said before that everybody wants Paul's glory, but nobody wants Paul's ministry. He was imprisoned now. He's been shipwrecked. He's been beaten, been stoned. He's been persecuted. He's been chased out of every place that he's ever been. But yet, Paul viewed all of these things through the lens of the gospel. It's because of that perspective that Paul gets to view his current circumstances and his former circumstances as things that fuel and feed his passion. And his passion is the gospel. There is no doubt about that. Prison it's not a good thing. I don't think any of us would sit there and go, Paul's enjoying himself. Prison is not good. Suffering is not fun. It's not something that we should be happy about. But what is good is for Paul... Difficult circumstances had become a way to advance the gospel of Jesus Christ. It was just the mark of Paul's life. And that really leads me uh, to my first truth this morning that I want you to know. And it's this. Having a gospel passion turns obstacles into opportunities. Having a gospel passion turns obstacles into opportunities. You see, Paul's concern was not for his comfort or for his freedom. It was only that the gospel of Jesus Christ that had radically changed his life was proclaimed and the, the mission of God was advanced, nothing else. The, the word advanced here in, in, this, in these verses, uh, the Greek word for that, as it's translated, we, we could understand it to mean to blaze a trail, Right? So not only is Paul uh, about the gospel being preached, he's about it being preached in places that it's never been preached before, blazing a trail into a place for God's glory to be seen in areas of the world and areas of their culture and society that it had never been before. How many of us in this room today can say, <clears throat> excuse me, that we have a gospel passion that is so deep, that is so intense, that we would consider uh, imprisonment a good thing? I'm not gonna make you raise your hand. I don't think I would. But Paul did because he knew the importance of gospel and of having a gospel passion and of gospel advancement. If we look at verses 13 and 14, we're gonna see, <clears throat> excuse me, we're gonna see the uh, advancement that Paul is talking about and he's writing about. He's really writing about the fact that the gospel has advanced in two ways during his imprisonment, okay? So let's look at verses 13 and 14. So that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. So the first way that we see the gospel advancing is when Paul says, in the imperial guard and the rest, okay? So we talked about Paul being in prison. So here's kind of what that would look like on a day-to-day -day basis. Paul wasn't just sitting in his jail cell being watched. Paul was literally chained to another human, to a Roman centurion. 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year for two years, he had another man chained to his arm. 
once you always said that every six hours they would rotate these guys out. So when these people are chained to him, Paul didn't see an obstacle. He saw an opportunity to share the gospel with people that had never heard it before. That's what Paul did. The guards that we're talking about are believed to be the emperor of Rome's personal elite uh, soldiers, Praetorian guard, his personal guard. And when he talks about and the rest, that rest is the rest of the people that worked and lived in Caesar's household. So later on in Philippians 4, at the end of it, when he's saying goodbye to the church at Philippi, he sends greetings to them. He says, greet every saint that is in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. So we see because of Paul's gospel passion, the gospel had advanced into the military of the Roman Empire and even into the very household of Caesar himself. Paul didn't see being in prison and being chained to someone as a problem. It wasn't an obstacle to Paul. It was an opportunity. It was an opportunity to do what he was the most passionate about and that's to advance the mission of God through the proclamation of his gospel. This is that perspective we were talking about, right? Paul knew that being in prison had a purpose. And if Paul knew it was a purpose, then Paul knew that purpose was to glorify God by preaching the gospel. It wasn't just he was there by bad luck or happenstance. Paul knew that sovereign God placed him there for a reason, and that reason was to preach the gospel. The second way that we see Paul's imprisonment advance the gospel is in verse 14. He says, most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the Lord without fear. So, you know, most of the time, when you see someone that you're close to or admire or whatever, do something or say something that gets them put in jail, your knee-jerk reaction is not to go, yep, I'm going to go do that. That feels like a really good idea. That feels like a great decision. Let's go do the very thing that just put him in jail. But yet what we see in 14 is exactly that. We see that they were preaching the gospel with boldness and without fear. They weren't shrinking back. They weren't more fearful. They weren't speaking less. They were moving forward. The gospel was advancing because of the gospel passion of Paul and of the people that saw Paul. They looked at Paul in prison. They saw his boldness. They saw God sustaining him, and they had confidence to speak the gospel. Their confidence, though, was not in themselves. Their confidence was not in Paul. Their confidence was in the Lord. The Lord had protected Paul and giving him boldness, and God would do that for them as well. They grew in boldness, and they spoke the word fearlessly. You know, gospel passion is an infectious thing. If we have gospel passion, it reshapes our perspective and the perspective of those around us, and it turns obstacles into what? Opportunities. The church, that's us, we've got to have a gospel passion if we're gonna pursue and achieve the mission that God has given to his church. We've got to see the glory of God through gospel advancement as the goal of everything that we do. Everything. Our mission statement here at New Beginnings, this is a new one, we've been working on it, you guys have heard it, if you know it, you can say it with me, is people, connecting people to Jesus and his ever-restoring life where we live, where we work, where we play. If we wanna see the gospel take root in our neighborhoods, in our businesses, and in our homes, we've got to live our lives with a gospel perspective 
and a gospel passion. And if the gospel is being advanced in those places, then it's worth whatever the cost. If we're pursuing Christ, we're gonna have hardship. You guys know that, right? Pursuit of Jesus brings with it hardship. It brings with it struggle. Sometimes it brings with it suffering. And we won't enjoy these things. It's not going to be fun. But we can't have a sense of purpose that sustains us throughout all of them. Right? It's gospel passion. Because of our gospel passion and the perspective that it gives us, we're going to trust in a sovereign God that is going to not only see our circumstances, but use them to advance the gospel. You know that, right? When you struggle, when things are hard, when it's tough, God sees you. He sees your struggle. He saw Paul's suffering and he said, I see you and I'm going to use it. I'm going to use it for the good of my mission and I'm going to use it for the glory of my name. But it's not useless and it doesn't go to waste. So if you're walking in a season of of hardship, especially a season of hardship for pursuing the things of God, Know that God sees it. Know that God is sovereign and that he has ordained it and he is going to use it to advance his mission. And you can rest in in that. That is foundational for believers. Second section of verses, we're gonna move on to those. Verses 15 through 18 says this. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaimed Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed. And in that, I rejoice. You know, my wife has heard me say this before, and she'll probably be like, oh my gosh. My kids would definitely roll their eyes. Um, But anyone that's been around me at any length of time, really, I've said it enough. It's motives matter. Your motives matter, right? Sometimes what we say or what we do may be less important than how we say it or how we do it. So I was thinking about this. Uh, you know, as a husband, you learn a lot of things along the way. My wife is the best teacher. And I needed lots of instruction, obviously. I didn't know that going into it, but it turns out I was. You know, what do you do? One of the things I learned is that if you're going to give your wife a gift, flowers, whatever, it's better to do that on a day where it's just a regular day than it necessarily is for anniversaries and Valentine's Day, right? So rather than giving her flowers on Valentine's Day, I give her Valentine's Day on a Tuesday, right? Just a, just a normal day. She gets the flowers, she comes home, and they're great. They're beautiful, right? She loves them. I can't believe he did this to me. My husband loves me. Oh, thank you so much. And as she's smelling them, I go, you like the flowers? Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm so glad. I'm so glad I love you so much. Yes, I love them. Well, I have to tell you something. Guess what? Now the motive became the most important thing. The flowers no longer mattered. The flowers are just the thing to deflect from the idea of what stupid thing did you do that made you give these flowers to me? Right? Sweet sentiment, all that cool stuff that you just did, Ben, you just wiped it out with a, I need to tell you something. (laughs) Motives matter. But there are times, there are times, depending on the message, 
where the truth of the message matters more than the motives of the people delivering it. And if you look at verses 15 through 17, we see Paul addressing the motives of some people that are preaching the gospel. He says one group of people are preaching from envy and rivalry, and the second one is from goodwill, that the ones that are preaching from goodwill are preaching from a position of love, and the people who are the other are envious of Paul or in some way have some sort of rivalry uh, with him. And they're preaching really first and foremost for their own self-gratification so that they would be made much of it. It says that they preach from selfish ambition. Paul says that these people are preaching the gospel not only for their own glorification, but they also think that somehow this is going to bring Paul some sort of difficulty or discomfort while he is in prison. Two very different motives behind advancing the gospel. And you might be tempted to think that Paul is just going to blast them for their poor motives, right? Of course he is. Motives matter, right? Look what he says. In verse 18, he says, What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. What then? If any of you in here are reading the NIV, you see it says, But what does it matter? I love this. Think about that. He had just finished telling us that these people have these impure motives of, of rivalry, of, of self-conceit, of self-promotion, of all these things. You know what Paul says? So what? So what? Paul's passion for the gospel advancement shows up when he says, so what? As long as the gospel is proclaimed and Jesus is glorified, the message is what matters the most. You see, they were preaching the gospel. While they were doing it, while it wasn't pure and it wasn't good, and I'm certain God will deal with their motives, the goal was, though, the message was getting out. Paul didn't care about credit or the motives behind why other people were preaching the gospel. He only cared that the gospel was preached and that people were saved and that God received glory in that, period. Now, the message that Paul is so passionate about is the true gospel. I use the word true there because in this book and in our world today, there are people that will preach to you a gospel that has pieces left out of it, that has things added to it that is not the truth. Paul was passionate about the true gospel. And while he might not have mattered very much for the motives of these people, if they would have changed the gospel in one way, if they had preached it diluted, if they had added anything to it, I assure you, Paul would have had a much different response than them. Paul in Galatians 1, 6-8 writes this about false gospel preachers. He says, I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. <clears throat> Paul says, if anybody, including me, preaches to you a gospel other than the one that you know is the truth, that person should be cursed. When it comes to the gospel, the message mattered more than the motive. 
It's not that the motive does not matter, because it does. Believe me, God's word is filled with scriptures about, about the motive of our hearts. The motive does matter. It's just in this instance, it didn't matter as much as the advancement of the gospel, which is the absolute mission of God's people. But with motive, you look at James 4.3, it says, you ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passion. Some, some translations say you ask with wrong motives. See, the motives matter. God desires our motives to be pure, but purity of motive takes a backseat to the purity of the message when we're talking about the gospel. If Paul had a motto in his life, it is gospel above all. Paul was unconcerned with who was advancing the gospel as long as it was being advanced. He didn't care about personal acclaim. All he cared about was Jesus being glorified. You know what Paul knew? It's the one thing I want you to know, that Jesus receives the most glory when the gospel is preached and those that are far from him are drawn near. Paul knew that, and that's what gave him fuel for his gospel passion. Luke 15 says, just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 persons who need no repentance. This is the truth that fuels Paul's gospel passion. One person more important than 99 that don't need it. Now, listen, I don't think Paul enjoyed his circumstances. We talked about that, right? Prison's not fun. He doesn't enjoy trials or suffering. Who would? I wouldn't. But his passion and his total dedication to the mission was producing something in Paul. It wasn't just outgoing. There was something within Paul that this was producing, this gospel passion. Before I tell you, though, I want you to remind you that we've seen the second truth in this. And the second truth of, the, of this message is this. When gospel advancement is your passion, God's glory becomes your mission. When gospel advancement is your passion, God's glory becomes your mission. We see in these scriptures that Paul was about the advancement of the gospel at any cost. He wanted to make much of Jesus and glorify God with his actions. And as he did that, and as he lived out his gospel passion, look at the, ver the end of verse 18. Verse 18 says, What then only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed. And these, these words right here, And in that I rejoice. Paul found joy. Paul was able to recognize and rejoice. He found his deepest joy in the fact that Christ was being proclaimed. Because Paul had a gospel passion, he was able to experience the joy that comes from following Christ and knowing Jesus in the most difficult of circumstances. Paul's joy didn't come from what was happening. Paul's joy came from the fact that he got to experience that joy from Christ because he had a passion for the gospel advancement. And he knew the mission was to glorify God. You know, there's a, a document called the Westminster Catechism. When they wrote it, the first thing says, the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. This is why you were created, to bring God glory. It's what you're for. I said this before, and people always get confused with it, but I'll say it because I believe it to be true. God is for God. God is worthy of glory. He expects us to live a life that brings him glory. And that is our chief purpose, which is to bring him glory. And if we see the message in this, we'll see that Paul knew the mission was God's glory through gospel 
advancement. Paul was able to experience that joy in those circumstances because his perspective had been eternally altered by the truth of the gospel. He was willing to sacrifice anything and everything to ensure that the gospel advanced and that God received all the glory. So really the goal for us today is the same as it was 2,000 years ago, right? It hasn't changed one bit. The, the mission has not changed, not one iota. Advance the gospel and glorify Jesus at any cost. The great news is the same joy that Paul experienced is available to you and to I. We don't have to walk through the trials and sufferings of this life alone. When God uses us, when God uses our circumstances, when God uses our trials, we receive the same joy that Paul received. I feel pretty safe in saying for me that Paul had experienced more persecution and suffering than I have in my life and probably any of us will in our lifetimes. Yet, everything Paul wrote talked about the joy of suffering for the sake of Jesus Christ. Talked about the joy of following Jesus and proclaiming his gospel and seeing his kingdom advance. Paul talked about the joy that is found in sharing the gospel and seeing those that are lost come to know Jesus as their Savior. So, I think we have to ask ourselves, what brings us joy? Not what makes you happy. Remember, happiness is an emotion that's dependent on what's going on outside of me. Joy transcends circumstances and comes only through the person and work of Jesus Christ, true joy. So where do you find your joy? We need a gospel passion. We need our experience of Christ to so radically impact, impact our perspective that what used to be an obstacle to sharing Jesus would only now be seen as an opportunity. We have to be committed to the goal of gospel advancement and the glorification of Jesus Christ over and above any personal cost or any personal motives. It is the thing that matters most. It is the thing that matters, period. We don't get to make a list Jesus, family, blah, 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 blah. Jesus has his own list. Jesus. There's one thing on it. Paul shows us what we need to do to experience joy. We need that gospel passion. But like Paul, we have to, be, we have to know ourselves. We have to know what we're willing to give up. Remember, we talked about the very beginning. And we're giggling about Yamboree. True passion requires sacrifice. No matter what it is, no matter what you're putting your life into, if you are passionate about it and you are pursuing it, it requires a sacrifice. So you ask, what brings you joy? What are you willing to give up? What are you willing to sacrifice for the glory of God's name and the advancement of God's kingdom? Do you have a gospel passion? You know, as believers, we need to have daily rhythms. 
Daily rhythms of spending time with and focusing on Jesus Christ. And when we do that, we're going to learn to know that in the beauty of his word, in the radiance of his presence, and in the reminder of the work that he's done in our life, that's the fuel for gospel passion. Fixing your eyes on Jesus Christ is the fuel for your gospel passion. And we will then see the glory of God as the mission. It's a tough thing to get your arms around sometimes. So I want to share a story with you uh, that I think really shows uh, what it means to have a gospel passion and what it means to have a perspective that allows you to see the glory of God through the advancement of his gospel as the only priority in our life. Uh, there was an American missionary in the 1800s. His name was Adoniram Judson. And Adoniram Judson was uh, called to the mission field to the country of Burma. And uh, he was a young man when he got called. And as young men do, Adoniram fell in love to a woman named Anne Hasseltine. And he wanted to marry her. Okay? So uh, Adoniram, being a good young man, a good Christian young man, decided he was going to go... He was going to ask her father for Anne's hand in marriage, and he wrote a letter to Anne's father. And I'm going to read a part of that for you today. And as I read it, I want you to think, do I have a passion, a gospel passion? What am I willing to sacrifice for the name and the renown of Jesus Christ? I have now to ask whether you can consent to part with your daughter early next spring to see her no more in this world. Whether you can consent to her departure to a heathen land and her subjugation, or excuse me, her subjection to the hardships and sufferings of a missionary life. Whether you can consent to her exposure to the dangers of the ocean, to the fatal influence of the southern climate of India, to every kind of want and distress, to degradation, insult, persecution, and perhaps a violent death. Can you consent to all of this for the sake of him who left his heavenly home and died for her and for you? For the sake of perishing immortal souls, for the sake of Zion and the glory of God. Can you consent to all of this in hope of soon meeting your daughter in the world of glory with a crown of righteousness brightened by the acclamations of praise which shall resound to her Savior from the heathen saved through her means from eternal woe and despair. He wrote a letter to her father and said, will you consent to part with her and to see her no more in this world? I have a daughter. Some of y'all in here have daughters. When I read this, in my mind, I kept hearing, I have now to ask whether you can consent to part with Mackenzie early next spring and to see her no more in this world. Adoniram and Ann Judson are certainly worthy of our admiration. But here's what I would want you to see this morning. It was Ann's father that had a gospel passion, that had a perspective that put God's glory 
through gospel advancement above everything. And he knew that it was worth any cost. So Mr. Hasseltine consented to their marriage and Anne was married to Adoniram and they left and they went to Burma and he never saw her again in this world. She died on the mission field as did Adoniram Judson died on the mission field in Burma. And today, there's approximately two and a half to three million Christians that exist in the country of Burma because of their gospel passion and because of the perspective that showed them that the glory of God through advancing his gospel was worth anything, anything. What are you willing to sacrifice? Where's your joy found? These are questions that we have got to wrestle with. Because here's the truth. While this is tough and this is difficult to think about it, at the end of it, in the middle of it, and all the way through it, you get to experience the joy of knowing Jesus Christ. The joy of pursuing the mission that one day when you get to heaven and you see him face to face, maybe just maybe you'll hear the words, well done, good and faithful servant. That requires a gospel passion. That requires a gospel perspective. And it requires the gospel to be advanced into places that it never thought, we never thought it would go. And we're the ones that are supposed to do it. So how do we respond to this today? There's two ways. Here's what I would tell you. Um, you can't be passionate about something you've never experienced. If you're in here today and you don't understand what I'm talking about, it may very well be because you've never experienced Jesus through his gospel. And I would tell you that today can be the day that your life is radically changed and your perspective is reshaped and refixed on the things of the Lord by surrendering your life to Jesus. Because here's what I know. I know that Jesus Christ is God and that he willingly came to this earth and he lived a life that was perfect and he gave his life up willingly for the sin of humanity. He was taken off a cross, he was buried in a tomb, and three days later, like we celebrated last week, he rose from the dead, defeating sin, defeating death. He ascended into heaven where he sits to this moment, interceding on the throne of God on your behalf and on mine. And Romans 10, 9 and 10 says that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. If you're in here today and you don't know him and you don't have a gospel passion and you want a gospel perspective, surrender your life to the one true gospel and the one who perfected the faith, Jesus Christ. You can do that today. You don't have to leave here the same way that you came in. If you're in the room today and you've been a believer for a week, a year, or 50 years, gospel passion is what we have to have. So maybe for us today, we come down or we get in our seat and we begin to beg God to remove the things in our life that we're willing, that we don't wanna sacrifice for the good of his name, for the glory of his name, for the good of his mission. Maybe we need to admit that we don't have a gospel passion because we put other things in front of God. 
Maybe we're not experiencing the joy of following Jesus because we don't have a gospel perspective of who he is and of his mission. There's a reason there's joyless Christians. It's because they don't have a gospel passion. Maybe today you need to come down here and you need to take the hand of one of our pastors or, or ministers, or you need to hit your knees at the altar and you need to confess, Lord, I need a gospel passion. Because here's what I know. I can stand up here and I can talk about it all day long, but what brings gospel passion is an encounter with the living God. It's the indwelling of his Holy Spirit. It's not me. So we're gonna stand and we're gonna sing and I'm gonna pray and we're gonna respond. And my prayer for you today is gonna be the same prayer as it's been all week, that God would light a fire in our hearts, a passion so intense, so deep, that there's nothing that exists in this world that we would see as an obstacle to him receiving his glory, that they would all be opportunities to chase after the thing that God has told us to chase after. Father God, I love you so much. I am so grateful, Lord, for the things that you have worked in my heart this week, Lord. Lord, and it's my admission, as it may be many in here, Lord, that there, there are many times where my gospel passion does not burn the way it should. There are things in my heart, Lord, that I put before you, undoubtedly. And today, Lord, I'm asking that you would tear down those walls, God. That you would remind us of who we are and who we were before you rescued us, God. Give us a gospel passion for advancing your message and giving you glory for all of it, God. For those in this room that might be far from you, God, I pray that you would draw them near, that even in this moment, God, you would begin to speak to their hearts. And when we finish praying, Lord, that they would run to the front and say, I need Jesus. So Father, bless our time, Lord. May our worship be a sweet sound to your ears, God. I pray your blessings over your people this morning, Lord. And I pray these things in the mighty and in the beautiful name of Jesus, amen.